0: Hey folks, welcome back to the Pod of the West Wind. We are getting into mid-September now, and it's starting to cool off here at camp. Starting to get more cool days than warm ones. Feels like summer might really be getting ready to wrap up for good. Today on the pod, we have another counselor from last summer, another long-time camper. In fact, a long-time resident here on Fort Point. When he came to camp for his first year in 2010, he probably had the shortest trip of anyone that summer. Uh, His family lives part of the year at Thunderbird, just north of camp. Mac Callahan's our guest today. We'll talk about the gap year between high school and college that he just wrapped up. I've been looking forward to this ever since I first heard about what he was doing. So Mac, welcome. Great to see you and have you here. Thank you for having me. You came to camp when you were pretty young, but you even, your experience with camp goes back a little further. So can you tell me a little bit about when you first became aware of camp and when you first came to camp?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, ever since, you know, I was super little, I always knew camp existed. Um, My family, uh, you know, spent most of our our summers out on Lake Winnipesaukee at Thunderbird. So we we had a pretty, pretty clear view of of Big Cove. And I, you know, from the dock could always see, you know, kids uh, over at beach supper, you know, having a good time. And my my uncle uh, actually went to camp for a couple of years. So I always knew it was an option. And I remember going and, and doing a tour. I was probably seven. I think my parents, <laughs> I mean, they were the kind of parents who wanted me to, you know, start having, having fun and having a camp experience young. And I, I appreciated that, I think. So after my tour, I was really impressed and, and wanted to start having having fun, uh, have, having fun summers at camp. But so I started as a camper um, in the Nats cabin as, a, as an eight-year-old. I remember I, I signed up for the, you know, introductory three weeks. And I think by by week two, you had already called my parents and said, you know, I, I think Mac's ready and, and wants to stay, stay for the fourth week. And so um, I remember having a blast that first summer. And and from there, you know, I, I kept on coming back, obviously, through, through Eagle's year, did a uh, year as an intern. And then, uh, you know, the summer before, what would have been this summer, was my first year on staff as a windsurfing counselor. So it's been a journey.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And I thought it was neat that you were... A windsurfing counselor. Your first summer, looking right back over sort of the reverse view of what you had growing up of camp. Do you yeah. remember that Nats year very well? Who were your counselors and who else was in that cabin with
1: you? Yeah, in that counselor was Melissa um, Randall. Mm-hmm. I know she was, you know, a staple of the Nats cabin for for a couple of years. Alden as well, the sailing counselor, and then Henry Catan, who mm-hmm. I actually then 10 years later, was an intern with and a staff member with his his younger brother, George Catan. So uh, kind of a full circle moment there. But I, I don't really know if I was connected, if I'm still connected with any of the kids, but that's how, that's how it is. That's how it sure. goes sometimes.
0: <laughs> so then you started ahead of what sort of what became one of the tighter cabin groups, you know, every every now and then we have a cabin group that we <laughs> we see go through year after year after year largely intact and I think of your Eagles cabin as one of those groups. You're still in touch with some of those guys though yeah?
1: Yes so I'd say around Chipmunks year is when you know our group really started started to form and ever since that year you know we were a group that consistently always came back and it was always you know so fun We'd we'd come back the first day of camp the next year and you know scramble to to see who was on our cabin list and you know year <laughs> after year it was always the same people and we were so thankful because these were were guys we'd lived with you know all the way through Chipmunk's year and so I'm still really good friends with a lot of them I keep in touch we're we're all over the country you know but you know still have that that cabin bond and it's something. That really shaped my my cabin experience uh, you mentioned our our eagles cabin i I think what was the the pinnacle of that that group's success was our cabin skit that year, uh, which I think a, a lot of people might remember but um <laughs> <laughs> our, our I remember. Cabins. Yeah, uh, I, I think it might be down in the in the KB history books. But for for those who weren't there to witness the moment, Andy Cole, our you know who is the the music counselor, I think first session had tried to convince the cabin to put together a music video. He, he didn't convince them. But second session, <laughs> this group of, of goofballs come in, comes in and he he convinces us to choreograph and, and put together a dance, a choreographed dance to the, to a song by um, Sia. And we, you know, the whole week before Cabin Skit Night would would go off to the lodge with a a stereo system, blast the song and put together some, some choreo. And by the end, it was, it was, uh, I'd say it was a success. I don't think, you know, many people had, had seen a skit like that before. So that was probably the pinnacle of our progression as a cabin. That cabin skit is
0: very high on my list of favorites, and I have always been very opposed to recording performances at camp because I I've always felt like that's sort of a moment in time, and and to go back and revisit it, sometimes the recorded version isn't as amazing and awesome as we remember it in our heads. Um, And so that can maybe take away a little bit from the memory, but that is a, is an exception. Mm -hmm. And I do have a recording of that. And what I should probably do is get permission from all those involved and put that somewhere where it can be accessed because it is sort of the pinnacle of what cabin skits can be. Um, Yeah with a whole lot of effort. I don't think that was a, we'll throw it together the afternoon before Cabin skits because we haven't come up with anything. You guys
1: (laughs) sank a lot of time into that. Yeah, that was a a week-long ordeal. And I want to give, you know, major (laughs) props to to Andy Cole who really, really put it all together, but even went to the extent to, you know, taking, um, I don't know, making Ken Bucks, which I don't know if you remember at the end of our skits, we would, you know, print out or Andy Cole beforehand, Printed out dollar bills with Ken your face photoshopped onto them. You'd cut them up and then you know we we threw them out into the crowd and the the kids went wild for Ken bucks. And I, oh, and there you still have them.
0: I still have Ken bucks in my office. I had forgotten about that, but here they yeah. are. That is great. <laughs> a
1: That's little wonderful. artifact
0: from from this summer. So I only have you for a for a short amount of time, and I'm fascinated to hear about. What you've done for your last year. So, you know, you were a counselor last summer, a serving counselor. You stayed on uh, into family camp and worked because you were taking a gap year before starting your first mm-hmm. for your first year at college. Talk to me a little bit about the gap year because this is a thing that didn't really exist the way it exists now. Uh, mm-hmm. When I went to college, I know more and more people who have made that decision how did you make the decision to take the year off between graduation and starting at college? Mm
1: -hmm. So I decided before camp uh, to take a gap year, but when I really think about it on like why I felt comfortable taking a whole year off, not knowing, you know, what, what would come to fruition during it? Like what would, what would happen? I, I actually really tie it back to going to summer camp and, you know, every summer living away from home and, choosing and trying things that I, I'd never done before. I think, you know, having those seven years as a camper really opened up my eyes to how many different opportunities and, you know, skills there are to learn away from home. And I think, you know, there, it, it's becoming more popular, the gap year, but I knew a lot of, you know, former campers and former staff members who before me decided to take a gap year. And I, so I knew it was something that existed. I think, you know, camp kind of set me up in a place where I felt comfortable to, you know, where I felt, I felt okay to step outside of my comfort zone, even though I didn't have a plan what I was going to do. But yeah, I worked, I worked um, as a counselor and then through family camp. And I remember getting home after Labor Day weekend in Maine, I kind of sat down and I was like, okay, you know, this is my year is officially starting. Like camp was great, but I need to buckle down and, and, you know, see see what I can learn, what I can experience, where to go. And it all kind of rolled out from there.
0: So you didn't have a plan going into it of, okay, this is how I'm going to use this year. I've got this lined up and then I'll go here and that'll take me through
1: to next summer. No, I, I went straight to camp not having having a clue. I had some ideas. I had some ideas, but nothing was... Was set in stone. I just knew, you know, I was kind of burnt out from high school. Um, you know, sitting in classes all day every day. I felt like I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do in college, and I wanted a year to really experience the real world and and be out and about and and see what I could garner from from that year before you know stepping and then committing four more years to you know sitting back in a classroom sure. and, and buckling down. So I kind of took that leap, but you know, some people plan it out all before, but my year ended up working out and I, and I loved it and I had a ton of fun. So
0: when you decided to take the year off, did you have to sell your parents on this idea or was it something that they were conscious of before you brought it up? How did you sort of frame this to your folks?
1: They were actually the ones encouraging it. You know, they were, they were saying, (laughs) they were saying you know you don't know what you want to study like you know people are going on gap years like this is an option for you and you know you just need to spend it in a way that's that's worthwhile you know if you're you're on the couch playing video games all year maybe not but if you if you have some (laughs) ideas of what you want to do like go for it and so I had also talked to a bunch of people who had taken a gap year. They all did different things, but every person who I'd spoken to who had taken a gap year said, like, this was the right decision. I learned so much. I really grew, and I felt grounded when I went to college and ready to take on the undergraduate experience. And so I didn't have a plan at the moment, but I heard positive reviews from everyone. So I was like, I'm going to take this leap of faith. And you know, I told my college, I'll be back in a year. See you then was it simple
0: enough to just say i'm deferring my enrollment and i'll see you in 2020
1: yeah i mean I, I think it probably depends on on the school but um for the most part i've just heard you know you just need, you need to give some reasoning and but that can be you know i want to learn and grow and, and experience the real world and i think they're okay with that cuz i think they found you know students who come back from gap years are maybe more mature maybe more more ready to to live on their sure. own so yeah, it worked out for me.
0: So you finish up family camp, you go home. What
1: was the first sort of, okay, this is what I'll do. Yeah. Well, first I realized I hadn't driven enough hours to get my, to apply for my driver's <laughs> license. So uh. um, I hopped in the car with my dad and drove to Virginia and back. um, to, to get those, those hours, um, and, and got my license. So, you know, that, that kind of checked off the box. Oh, also something I did was after family camp, I sat down and what I did was I, I wrote out my goals for the year because I knew I need to start somewhere. I need to gather my ideas. And so I, my mom encouraged me, you know, write down like a physical list of things. And so I wrote down my goals and that kind of just like helped me center myself and, you know, start moving forward.
0: Do you remember what the goals were? Do you remember what was on that list?
1: Yeah. So, so my goals, I, I had a bunch. You know, I was pretty ambitious. I wanted to start uh, learning a new language and and get pretty proficient in it. Specifically, I'm I'm interested in Italian. Uh, I also wanted to help or work for an organization that is you know doing some good in the world or you know trying to trying to help people out. I wanted you know a work experience. I'd worked at, at summer camp that I learned a lot from that, but I also wanted to you know, see a different side of things. And then I also wanted to you know, be healthier. I found that at, at school, I was really stressed out. I wasn't treating myself right. So I wanted to read more on my, with my free time. I wanted to exercise regularly and you know, have a good diet, <laughs> all, all good things to learn before heading off to college for sure. And so I'm pretty sure that was, that was my main list. So I had, I wanted to learn Italian on my list. So after, you know, getting my driver's license and checking that one off a week before um, my departure date, I just, I booked a plane to, a plane ticket to Sicily and enrolled in an intensive language program in okay. Sicily. And so I, yeah, I, I flew out there, st- stayed with a, a host family. I really wanted to learn during this year, but not in like the typical structured classroom sense. And I was really interested in learning in language, but wanted that immersive experience of being in the country and, and hearing people and, and learning the culture. And so, you know, I, I went to this, this language school and uh, would, would study, you know, five days a week, but it was, it was mostly spoken Italian. I started picking it up pretty quickly, but then I'd also have weekends, you know, travel on my own. But I, I met people from all over the world who also shared the interest of, of wanting to, to learn Italian. People were from Peru, Australia, Germany, the United States as well. And so it was kind of this little bubble, this international bubble of, of people all excited to learn and, and speak Italian together. It was, it was a great experience. <laughs> That's, how long were you there for? So that was for two months, and I felt like I I was learning Italian. I had a great experience, but I was, um, after two months, you know, I was ready to look towards something else that was on my list. And Mm -hmm. so um, while I was there, I was, you know, applying to internships or other positions and flew home for Thanksgiving. Once again, you know, grounded myself, thought about what I wanted to do, and I got a call from Joe Biden's campaign, the now, uh, the now the Democratic nominee for president. Uh, back then, you know, there were, there were 20 people running in the, <laughs> the Democratic primaries, but I got a call saying, we'd love to have your help out in Iowa.
0: So, th- so that's interesting. You got a call from them. I have no idea. How does one go about expressing that interest in a way that actually gets them to be interested enough to call you?
1: Yeah, obviously, you know, I was a I was a high school graduate with right. not not a very beefy resume, so people definitely weren't searching me out. But um, <laughs> but I knew, you know, in the primary season uh, before a presidential election, there are so many campaigns, but everything starts in Iowa. So Iowa is the first state to vote, and so all of the campaigns, you know, build out their their infrastructure is really strong in Iowa because if they do well in Iowa, the assumption is they'll move on and, and gain more amen- more momentum and support from Iowa to succeed and, and win the nomination. So okay. I knew I wanted to be a part of that on the ground experience, just because is so important. Campaigns bring in really important political figures and surrogates. And I just knew it was a great opportunity to learn more about politics and campaigning and meet a lot of people and, and be able to to work for someone who I believe could help make make change in our country. And so I did put out, you know, myself, you know, uh, sending sending resumes to people being like, I'm interested to help in any way possible. Obviously, I'm not going to be their, their top communications officer or anything like <laughs> that, but use me in any way, you know, I'm here to learn. And so turns out, you know, Joe Biden's campaign was Putting together uh, a fellowship program of you know politically active or politically civically minded individuals to to come out to Iowa and knock on doors and do special projects, help staff events, and you know they were just looking for bodies. <laughs> you know they sure. they need they need all the all the help they can get to really really pull off a successful campaign. So,
0: uh, where did this interest come from? to go get involved in a campaign at that very ground level. Where was the inspiration for you? Is this something you'd been interested in doing for a long time?
1: I don't really know exactly where it came from. I've always been pretty interested in politics and, you know, staying up to date with how our our government is functioning. And I think I'd seen over the past couple of years that our current, you know, administration or, how our government our, just, our government isn't working for, for all people. And so I saw the 2020 election as something where we could bring really good change to people across the country and to really unify, unify us. So I knew I wanted to contribute to the election in, in some form. and it all starts in Iowa. It all starts right. you know, two years before. And so I knew you know, this is the plate this is the starting line. And so, if I can join from the start and and help build and help connect with voters and help get out the word, you know that will have I feel like a major effect in the end. So I mm. I kind of zoomed out and found this state in the in the Midwest. I've never <laughs> been to the Midwest. I'm I'm from New England. That's this is where I call home, but. I, I got the call, and I decided, you know, this is this is where it all starts, and I want to be a part of this movement. And so, I'm going to drive 30 hours <laughs> to Des Moines, Iowa.
0: <laughs> having having just gotten your
1: license, right? I mean, oh yeah.
0: So <laughs> so I'd
1: gotten my license, and then was living in Italy for for two months. Didn't use it there. Came back. Oh, I'm going to have to drive to Iowa, <laughs> um, 30 hours. So, okay, so you drive out to Iowa. What happens what 's that first week like oh it's it 's crazy. I mean at this point, there's still like ten people in the race Iowa the Iowa caucus you know the the vote is is two months away but there's a lot of there 's a lot of energy. I get on the ground and instantly, you know my first day i 'm knocking on doors and talking to actual people to voters <laughs> living in Iowa about. Joe Biden as a candidate and why he's their best option and why they should consider voting for them. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I go from having zero political experience one day to the next day, you know, actively discussing with people and and their communities uh, about about a certain candidate and all the issues that, that he represents and that he fights for. So there's definitely a learning curve, but you know, I kind of just got thrown into it, and this is this is Iowa in December. So yeah, it, it's absolutely freezing. <laughs> there are snowstorms constantly. There's ice. It's uncomfortable. You need hand warmers when whenever you go door knocking. But the people of Iowa, they are so nice. You know, huh. um, you usually you think when someone comes knocking on your door, oh, they're they're a political person. You know, shoo them away. But I think in my first week in Iowa knocking on doors, you know, there was this uh, lovely old woman who invited me in. She just baked cookies and she sat me down <laughs> to like talk about Joe Biden while I ate some of her her warm cookies. So it was great. <laughs> How many
0: doors would you knock on in a in a day? Like what would a normal day look like for that?
1: So I wasn't only, only knocking on doors in yeah. Iowa, we were doing a lot of other things, but you know, we'd do a shift a day, which would be like okay. 40 to 50 doors. Later on in the campaign, where my um, responsibilities you know, shifted more towards that direct voter contact, you know, I would do like 80 to 120 in a day. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. And for me, you know, I, I feel like I'm more of an introvert and so when your job entails, you know, talking to strangers constantly throughout the day and like trying to persuade them to vote mm-hmm. for someone, yeah, yeah. It, it takes a lot out of you. But I learned, you know, so much about like how to communicate, how to get my point across and how to just have really meaningful, heartfelt discussions. You're not going to get everyone to, you know, support. Uh, your candidate, but you can have some really meaningful conversations and connections. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're all human, human being, and we we share so much in common. So I got to meet a lot of cool people.
0: So you got out there two months before the caucuses. You know, not to not to gloss over or fast forward too far ahead, but you're still there two months later when the caucus rolls around. Like, how did your responsibilities change? How involved did you get? And then, what is what are the caucuses like themselves?
1: Yeah, so definitely, you know, candidates start dropping out, you know, December and January, but, you know, there, there's still a, still a bunch by February 3rd, which was caucus day. So, you know, the weeks leading up to caucus day were sleepless. I mean, you are pulling out all the stops, trying to talk to as many people as possible, organizing events, bringing in volunteers. So it's just this huge crescendo, and then you get to the day, and uh, it was caucus day, you start uh, handing out literature at 6 a.m. in the morning um, Mm -hmm. on people's doors, trying to not wake up the dogs. Um, (laughs) And Then, uh, you know, you head to a a caucus location. And so caucuses are really unique um, because you vote in person with your community. so that day, I drew, drove out about two hours outside of Des Moines to the, to the east side, to Iowa City, which is a college town in the outskirts of Iowa City. You know, a lot of Iowa, like there, there are people who live in Iowa, but a lot of it is really just farms miles and miles apart. Uh, so I was in that, that part of Iowa. I was not in mm-hmm. the urban part. And so I get to my, my caucus location at about five And it's this small elementary school in in middle of nowhere, Iowa. I don't know anyone, but I show up, I put on my Biden t-shirt, and the caucus starts. In this caucus location, there are about 50 community members all all there to cast their vote. And I do a pitch in front of all of them. Every, Every person who's there to represent a candidate can do a pitch. So I had one minute on the clock. I, you know, spoke my heart, I spoke my (laughs) um, (laughs) truths, and said, you know, this is, this was my last final chance to convince people to to vote for Joe Biden. And then you, you know, you set up in a corner. So I had my corner of the room for Joe Biden. And then, you know, the person who's leading the caucus says, okay, you're free voters, go pick your corner. (laughs) And so, you know, there I am frantically, trying to corral these, these people to, to join my side. And there's there's a vibe, what they call a viability threshold. And so if your candidate doesn't have at least 15% of the vote in the first round, uh, you can't get any you know, delegates or, or votes from that location. So in the second round, you get to choose a new candidate. So as the Joe Biden's representative I would have to then go around after the first round and try to convince people who wanted to vote for other candidates to say, this is why Joe Biden should be your second choice. And so I'm running around the room. I don't know any of these people, but I'm going out there saying, you know, this is why Joe Biden. So at the at the end of the day, in my caucus location, Joe Biden came out on top. So I'll I'll call them (laughs) out of that a success. The caucus in general is just a hectic, crazy system, but it was, it was a learning experience. I mean, here I was an 18 year old kid from Brunswick, Maine in this small town in the middle of Iowa, you know, talking to voters about politics and like engaging in the democratic system, Mm -hmm. like so wild, such a crazy experience for me, (laughs) but that was caucus day. I mean, caucuses, I mean, one could say they're a form of voter suppression, because not everyone, you know, can be available. For a caucus, Mm -hmm. you need to be there exactly at a certain time. And if you're, you know, an overnight, have an overnight shift and, and can't make it for, you know, a 7pm caucus time, or you have responsibilities or have to take care of your kids, like, Mm -hmm. like, that's a lot, that's a reality for a lot of people in these caucus states. And so I think we're seeing a lot of you know, state government saying we're moving over to primaries because it's, it's just not accessible for everyone.
0: Well, and hard to imagine how one would run a caucus today with oh, a pandemic yeah. afoot. No one. Um, <laughs> right. So <laughs> the caucus uh, was on February 3rd. It ends. I don't believe Joe Biden won the caucus in Iowa. In fact, did anybody win the caucuses? Do we know?
1: Uh, you know, if if I, you know, but Joe Biden definitely did not win, although he won my tiny precinct right. in, in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. Which you know, for the wasn't... purposes
0: of our conversation is what matters. Um, <laughs> exactly.
1: But yeah, no, right. he, he definitely came in a strong fourth finish, um, but okay. not the finish maybe that that was most ideal.
0: Well, so then what happens to you? Yeah. You, you guys pull up out of out of Iowa the next stop is New Hampshire, but where do you go at that point?
1: Yeah, exactly. So with campaigns, it's very much, you have no idea what's coming next, you know? They are very malleable uh, systems or or institutions. And so what happens next was, you know, people working on the campaign, you get a a phone call from people who are in the campaign headquarters, you know, in an office somewhere in, in Philadelphia, uh, giving you your next steps. And so throughout Iowa, you know, I was, I was an unpaid intern, basically working full time, but uh, you know, they, they would supply me housing and a lot of food and gas money, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't a paid position. And then the next day after caucus day, you know, we were feeling pretty down caucus day didn't go as, as we'd hoped maybe, but I got a call from, you know, someone from HQ saying, you know, we, we appreciated your work in Iowa and we would like you to continue on with the campaign as a paid field organizer, like, will you drive to South Carolina tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> and so okay. they were like, you have 45 minutes to accept or deny this offer. So I, I hung up the phone. I called my dad. I was like, I need to take this. Like, I need to take this. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to drive, move to a whole different state without telling my parents and getting the permission <laughs> first, right? Yeah. Like, they yeah. were the ones who encouraged me to take this year, but like, I'm going to ask them first. My dad was like, yeah, like, take it you this is amazing i was like yes this is amazing so i accepted the offer and you know the next day i'm i'm moving from des moines iowa to columbia south carolina so it's a a two-day drive getting more of those hours on my driver's license (laughs) but um i arrive in south carolina and start my start working as a field organizer there but yeah so the, the next vote after iowa is new hampshire there's already a team there that primary you know joe frankly, does even worse, you know, he gets gets Mm -hmm. a fifth place finish. So we move on to Nevada, which is a caucus, Uh, there's a team there as well, does better there gets second place. But really, you know, all the political pundits from the start have said, you know, South Carolina is Joe Biden's strength, you know, he has invested a ton of of time and effort into knowing, you know, the leadership in South Carolina and and the people and, uh, you know, as vice president frequented, that state a lot. So he had a lot of grassroots connections and, Mm -hmm. and the people, and frankly, South Carolina is a very diverse state. States like Mm -hmm. Iowa, New Hampshire, mostly a a white electorate. And so South Carolina was just a totally different ballgame. I remember I get on the ground two days after Joe had a smashing defeat in Iowa, and I'm out knocking doors, and every single door I'm going to is like, oh, we love Joe. We know Joe. Like, Joe is the right candidate. And so it's a You know, beforehand, like Iowans were nice, but a lot of them were like, "Joe's not our guy," and I. Mm -hmm. And it's an instant flip of the switch in South Carolina. So,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm out there knocking on doors, and and the primary in South Carolina is coming up at the end of February, and people are saying, you know, this might be the end of Joe Biden's campaign. Like he hasn't had a good couple last states, but us organizers on the ground, we knew, you know, this is going to be going to be extraordinary, the vote that comes out of South Carolina, because we were on the ground talking to the people. Mm-hmm. And primary day comes along another 14 hour day of, of knocking on doors and, and talking to voters. And Joe Biden actually comes to Columbia, South Carolina for his, uh, what would then be his victory speech. And I'm sitting there out in the crowd. And there's just so much energy, you can tell like, yeah. this is a turning point in this primary cycle because I think you know, he came out with, with an overwhelming majority of the vote. And from then on end, you know, it was you know, Joe Biden with the momentum and yeah. state after state, you know, he picked up, picked up the majority. And from now, now he's the Democratic nominee. So things can really, really change fast.
0: Well, and I'm sure you have hundreds more stories. Uh, did you, did yeah. you get a chance to actually meet Joe Biden himself?
1: So most everyone who works on the campaign does, but I would oh, no. staff, yeah, I would staff a bunch of his events. So he goes around and like talks to all the voters in the room, obviously to like charm them over, you know, he's, he's a great guy. He loves talking to those, uh, right. to people really. Um, So they'd be like, give, give like the people who actually vote here, like right. the opportunity to speak to him. So I was, I'd always like stay in the back. Um, but he has acknowledged my presence just because I would run the microphone for him to like, you know, allow voters to to ask their questions so he would kind of like point at me and be like there's the mic guy and I was like <laughs> yeah that's me <laughs> so
0: it's just one um... letter removed from actually saying your name <laughs> exactly so.
1: yeah I'd get a, I'd get a point and a smile and you know that's good enough for me because you know Joe Biden you know he has a lot of people who endorsed him and he has a lot of connections in government so he would bring a lot of revered names on the campaign trail with him. So I got to meet, you know, Secretary of State John Kerry and figure skater Michelle Kwan is on the campaign. I got oh. to meet her. <laughs> and then, you know, also, you know, his wife Dr. Jill Biden is is amazing as well and I got to meet her. I mean, the campaign trail it's wild. It's it's always changing. There are important people walking through the door any given second. Yeah, from from South Carolina. Uh I just at the after the day after the primary, I, I got another phone call and it was like, "We want you to drive to Florida." I was like, "Okay, that's closer. Like, <laughs> that's only a day long drive. I can get to Tampa." Um, and so I I drove to Tampa. We we started working in the office there until you know then this was mid March. Coronavirus um, mm-hmm. was starting to you know really get a lot of focus in the states, and the campaign decided to go fully virtual, closing down all their offices and so I just got into Florida. I was really enjoying it, but then I had to drive to Maine back to back home. <laughs> so that was that was yeah, that was a three a three day drive. And from there, you know, from Florida until midsummer, I was I was working on the campaign and just getting getting out the word, recruiting volunteers, hosting mm-hmm. virtual events. And that was really the the end of my and the majority of my gap year was was working on that campaign and I learned so much and Mm -hmm. met so many great people so many intelligent civically minded people and just I know that that the gap year was was the perfect decision for me
0: yeah so at some point then in the summer it's like all right college is starting up in you know soon Mm -hmm. did you have any thoughts of maybe putting college off another year and continuing with the campaign
1: So there, there were those thoughts. It was definitely tough leaving the campaign after seeing it go from, from the stage it was in, in Iowa to such a raging success towards the end of our summer. But ultimate, like, I feel like I got, I got the experience I wanted and I was working in the field. It is a, it's a tough job, even if it's Mm -hmm. virtual, like, we, we transitioned from mostly knocking doors to making phone calls all day. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, it got to a point end of somewhere where I was very much like, I, I can't talk to one more stranger over my cell phone. <laughs> like this, this is enough. So, I mean, I loved working in the field and especially when it was in person and it was like yeah. very much grassroots organizing. I feel like I really got a, a strong understanding of how a campaign works from from the mm-hmm. bottom up. And I feel like there there are still ways I plan to continue to support the campaign from now until November third when the election happens, and I feel like I can still still help out and and make a difference. But at at the end of the summer, it was like I've learned a lot from this job, but I haven't like written a paper or like really done critical like academic thinking in a, in a year <laughs> and a half. And like I think my brain needs some like stimulation in that sense <laughs> and sure. I should I should go back to college yeah I would have to maybe take a year or even two more years off would be a possibility uh-huh. so I was like you know I can I can work on so many campaigns after you know if I if I want and it was great to have this first experience but I should get back to you know the, the standard course of, of life <laughs> for a second <laughs> yeah
0: you must feel like a different person having come out of this gap year and, and and maybe in particular having had the experience of working on a presidential campaign at the grassroots level. Um, you must feel like a different person than you were going into that. I feel like an adult. <laughs> like... <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> uh,
1: I was working on the campaign, you know, I was always the youngest person in the room. Mm. And... I made friends, I mean, even if you go back to learning in Italy, like, a lot of the people learning there were, like, retirees on their, on, like, a learning work vacation to, like, pick up another language, so I was, like, getting to know so many different people, and then in the campaign, like, a lot of people working my same job were just fresh out of college or, like, grad students, and, you know, our managers were, had gone through tons of campaign cycles before then and so I just feel like it really opened up my eyes and I just gained a totally new level of perspective I guess how the real world works I mean that really simplifies it down but I also lived on my own for the whole year basically and I put 15,000 miles on my car (laughs) (laughs) oh my wow (laughs) like um, I you know I obviously like cooked for myself and just learned how to how to live I feel like (laughs) I don't know if that was well put but I feel like an adult
0: (laughs) that was really well put and um, gosh what a what an incredible experience what a what a unique experience so you're you're at school school has started and yet you know the world is doing what it's doing how's everything going there you're in Boston
1: yeah, I'm in Boston. You know, my school, I go to Tufts University right outside of Boston, and people are, you know, taking this seriously. And I, I really appreciate it. I knew I wanted to come to campus because I wanted uh, some sort of in person teaching. I, I feel like I learned best um, in person rather than uh, over Zoom. But, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be a different semester, but this is, you know, what life is. And just as, you know, Camp Cavian has adapted to, working through a pandemic and through all the podcasts and newsletters and uh, interesting like virtual things you all have been doing, you know, the university has adapted and, and this is how, how it'll be for some time, but I'm just, you know, happy to, happy to be here and start learning again.
0: Uh, That's great, man. Mac, thanks so much. It's great to talk to you. I would love to
1: talk for hours and hours. Thank you for having me on the pod. I really appreciate having this platform. I just wanted to, for all the listeners out there, I just wanted to say now is it's never too early to request your absentee ballots. Deadlines for voter registration are coming up. This is an unprecedented year when it comes to elections. And so make sure you request your, your ballots early and send them in early so you can get your vote counted. And thank you for engaging in democracy.
0: Well, that's really well said, Mac. Thanks so much. That was inspiring and timely. Hope everyone's got Tuesday, November 3rd circled on the calendar. Make sure you've got a plan to vote. Make sure you're registered to vote. and Get your absentee ballot in early or know exactly where to go to vote in person. Hope everyone's staying safe, staying healthy, taking care of themselves, and taking care of one another. We'll see you soon.